Dobbs Rowe and the myth of bodily autonomy? And then what is the role of civility with our leaders? How to respond to hurting people. And later, bad Christian excuses to break up with someone. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm, so glad to have you with us on a beautiful summer Tuesday afternoon. Miss Sampson, how are you today? Man, I am wonderful. I got to go to lunch with one of my closest friends today, and we sat outside, and it's just, uh, you know, it it feels like summer now. I think we were saying that yesterday, but you I were. really feel it with the beautiful weather and being able to just enjoy the sunshine more. So I am doing, I know there's a lot going on in the world, but I am doing well on this Tuesday. How about you? Well, you know, with the a lot going on in the world, I think that makes it all the more important to go outside, to enjoy friendship, to do something, you know, to go garden, whatever. Right, right. (laughs) You know, mow (laughs) the lawn. Mow the lawn. Something to take your mind off of things. I am doing really well. Uh, you know what? My kids, my older two, put on a movie last night because their younger sister was out. And I walk in and I was like, oh, what are you guys watching? And they were watching the darkest movie. Have what you... was it? So it was a kind of interesting. Do you Have you seen any of the uh, – what's uh, John Krasinski, right? He plays Jim. Uh, uh-huh. Those movies. Yeah. I think it's called The Quiet Place. Oh, yes. Where... Those are great movies. So you've seen them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we really? see, Kevin and I have seen both of them. The, I really, really like the first one. The second one, I didn't think it was as good, but well, we're we're like twenty minutes into the second one, but okay, really dark, okay, really kind of a weird. Concept. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of horror movies. They're <laughs> yes. definitely yeah, but they're and cool. Like, oh. And I don't, I don't usually like scary movies, but I was into them because they were more suspenseful. I thought correct. And yeah. you're like, well, my kids are actually of the age they're, they're you know, they could watch these things, and you're like, oh, because now you're still thinking you're the bad dad, like they should still right, be watching Disney right. movies, but. <laughs> Right. Uh, Such is life. Well, we hope that you're having a great Tuesday afternoon. And Aubrey, uh, what's going on in everybody's mind uh, is there's a ton of things in our world right now, uh, but still the fallout from the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which happened now on Friday. And, um, you know, a lot of people still celebrating, a lot of people uh, angrily lamenting. I, I yeah. always said lamenting as if people are just, you know, and nope, anger, a lot of anger. Yeah, that's a type it. of lament, imprecatory lament. That's what they're doing. They're angry. Imprecatory lament. That is, mm-hmm. that sounds like somebody who has written a book about lament right there. Doesn't it? Doesn't she, doesn't she sound like she knows things? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as she often does, Tish Harrison Warren wrote an op-ed, an opinion piece at the New York Times Uh, That I thought got at the heart of a lot of what people are wrestling with. The Mm. title of this is Dobbs, Roe, and the Myth myth of Bodily Autonomy. And what Mm. Tish does here is basically says, what is at the heart of much of the abortion debate? Uh, The chief argument, she says, against abortion restrictions is, quote, bodily autonomy. Autonomy. So she says referring to abortion restrictions as forced birth is common among abortion rights advocates. Uh, Mm. So this idea of bodily autonomy, and she's going to argue that um, bodily autonomy is unpersuasive and and harmful to this discussion. But for people who might be confused, uh, put yourself on that side of the argument. Yeah. Uh, we know where you actually stand, but put yourself on that side of the argument mm-hmm. and help people understand the argument of bodily autonomy. Yeah, I mean, in one sense, I, I actually think 
that it makes a lot of sense. Like, especially in a culture where historically injustice against women has um, been acted out in that they don't have agency over their bodies. And that can look like uh, that can look like assault. That can look like rape around the world. That can look like, you know, genital mutilation. That can look like, I mean, some of it, we saw some horrific things in Zambia that men were doing to young girls and women to their bodies. And so um, violence against women's bodies, and the article we're talking about talks about this, has been historically a thing that women have had to live under for a very mm-hmm. long time. And so to be able to have the dignity and the autonomy to say, oh, wait, I actually have agency over my body is, I mean, I can see why that's such an important um, thing for women to be able to do. Uh, again, you know where you know where I stand on this. I sure, still don't think sure. that allows us to hurt the the bodies that we're creating within our own bodies. At the same time, I can see why that that is appealing because it feels like you know if women really want to be equals, like being able to own, have autonomy, have agency over our bodies. And I would say that for anybody, like every person should have a right to have an agency over their body. Right. Until it begins to impact and hurt other people, and that's where I think I can't get behind abortion. Yep. Well, put, I would say when you see sayings or signs that say "my body, my choice," yeah, uh, that is a argument from bodily autonomy. I do yeah. find. Let me just go off on a tangent here. I do find it so ironic that the bodily autonomy argument was also made. But by people probably of the opposite political persuasion. It's weird how it flips. The body hmm. auto- autonomy argument was made around vaccines. That's what the whole discussion was, right? Wow. Like, uh, don't oh, wow. tell me what I have to put in my body. Don't Fascinating. tell me what I have to do. Oh, gosh. Isn't that interesting? Wow, But the Brian. people making the bodily autonomy arguments, usually around vaccines, for the most part, were the people who are denying the bodily autonomy for abortion and vice versa. The people who are making the bodily – I find yeah. that to be a fascinating – just kind of juxtaposition, but definitely uh, Tish, Tish Warren says, here are three ways that I find abortion rights arguments that appeal to bodily autonomy, unpersuasive and ultimately harmful to our understanding of freedom and what it means to be human. Let me read the three to you. Okay. And I'll let you grab whichever one you want. She says one bodily autonomy is limited by our obligations to not harm others. She kind of says, basically, you can't drive 75 miles an hour in a school zone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These are limits came up in Dobbs's oral arguments twice. This idea that you uh, your bodily autonomy is limited by our obligation to not harm others, too. Yeah. The term autonomy denies the deep interdependence and limitations of every human body, right? Uh, Hmm. She says a one-year-old baby is dependent on adult for nourishment, protection, and care, uh, yet we cannot claim bodily autonomy as a reason to neglect the needs of a one-year-old. Right. And the third one, Trish says, is the pressing issue when it comes to abortion is whether championing bodily autonomy requires us to override or undo bi- uh, biological realities. Basically, mm. uh, well, well, we'll get into that. Grab one of those three. Do you find Tish's arguments to be persuasive uh, about why there's limits to bodily autonomy here? Yeah, I mean, I, this is, I think, what I was trying to say before, is I do think this bodily autonomy, or I would even call it like bodily agency, is the the ground that that has to stand on is our obligation and commitment not to harm others. And mm-hmm. this is, I mean, maybe this is not a great example, but I think this is part of why 
like smoking in restaurants is is in many places no longer a thing because though I might have a right to smoke a cigarette, I don't. I'm using this as an example. But I might have a right to smoke a cigarette. We saw from research how devastating the consequences were to secondhand smoke, right, for other people. So therefore, we banned that in a lot of public restaurants, locations, right. etc. And so I think that's the same concept. Like, you know, part of our... Part of, I think, what's so great about America and and is that we have had this belief that my freedom is my freedom until it impacts, oppresses, right. hurts, causes you pain, death, et cetera. And so I, I think she's right on by uh, making that point. Yeah. And again, we, we talked about this a lot yesterday, but this is why the argument about abortion being uh, – all hinges on what you think is inside a woman. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. If you don't believe that to be a life, a baby at all, then bodily autonomy arguments work. Like that, mm. that makes sense. Uh, but if that's a baby in there, then the whole no, your your autonomy stops when it brings harm to another person argument kind of takes the day. And so that's why that kind of hangs out there. Let me read to you how Tish ends here. And again, this is, I'm always impressed that she writes with such boldness in the New York Times. Right. Uh, she says, these rights carry op obligations to others, perhaps especially to those vulnerable bodies that depend on us. This is mm -hmm. the heart of the question about abortion. What are our obligations to one another? We have an obligation to unborn children. We have an obligation to seek women's safety and flourishing. For too long, these obligations have been pitted against each other, but they need not be. And to move forward, we must re uh, create a world where they never are. That is Tish mm. Harrison Warren over at the New York Times. So this is a debate and a conversation that is going to continue uh, and it's not going to uh, turn down any time soon. Okay, Aubrey, uh, you and I, there, there's certain topics we talk about a lot. Like not even topics as in news topics, but like uh, just I, yeah. things that we feel strongly about. And one of them is the idea of civility, it's particularly right. in our leaders. Uh, and I would say as the Dobbs um, ruling came down on Friday and the aftermath of it, uh, there has been, if nothing else, a lack of civility in the conversation uh in yeah how people are talking and this and that and uh i want to show you one of the extreme examples of it but it's local it's right here so the mayor of chicago Lori lightfoot uh was speaking i believe at a pride mm -hmm. event the other day in chicago and uh this is going to take we're going to have to edit this and should tell you a little <laughs> bit of what she said but here we go let's listen to what Lori, or at least some of what Lori lightfoot had to say if you read clarence thomas concurrence he said thank you clarence thomas So, Aubrey, at this Pride event in front of people who are very angry, yeah. lots of um, stuff. So she's she's kind of getting riled up with the crowd. Yeah. But let me just ask, even in the midst of, of a lot of uh, emotion, the mayor of Chicago yelling F Clarence right, Thomas and right. then following up with a tweet today that said, I said what I said, like no uh, apologies. Uh, this gets back to 
gosh, I can't believe we're at this point with our leaders right it now. What did you think when you saw that? I mean, it's embarrassing. I, I feel like embarrassed for Chicago, but it's not just Chicago's problem. This is, it feels like we keep covering these stories. I mean, I think this is like the same, the same thing with let's go Brandon. Like it's just, mm. it's just tacky. It's, there's no um, like dignity, civility, elegance, respectability. I, I don't know. I, I'm over it. I, I, I don't think it's going to change, but gosh, no. I, it'd be nice. I mean, there's a part of me that like, can, can we go back to like, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but like Victorian England, where like, even if you were faking it, you were still like, you had, um, polite society. Like I, <laughs> I but, but I think I, that's not really what I'm longing for. What I'm longing for is a respectable leader who actually mm-hmm. just, even if you disagree, you disagree with honor and civility and not immaturity. And I, I don't know if it's gotten worse coming out of COVID. I'm sure there are people doing research about that, but it just feels like, again, this is an example of we've all lost our minds. We've all lived under so much stress and anxiety and no one knows how to act publicly anymore. Like just yeah. in the public square, I think there is a, there should be a place for disagreement. I think that's actually part of what's beautiful about our country, but to do it with like treat people the way you want to be treated and treat people the mm. way you want the next generation learning how to treat other people, not whatever this example is, which is just petty and disrespectable, respectful yeah, and I- dis- and it, and disrespectable in my mind too. And I think we've gotten to the point where I no longer think it's about COVID anymore. I think mm. we've we've had this slow drip going, you know, social media, cable news, yeah, all of this other that's stuff. that's true. The, uh, you know, it, it is just continue to get elevated. And yeah. regardless of your political persuasion, it got uh, elevated quickly under President Trump. It's true. Right? The stuff he was willing to say yep. and people around him were willing yep. to say. Yeah. Uh, it got elevated quickly. But there has become this, like this idea of like, we're going to fight. And this yeah. is like, what's admirable now. And, you know, Ugh. F Clarence Tom, like, where is that? How is that a helpful, but be, um, a civil, like anything. Yeah. Like, and, and there might be people who think like you and I overplay this, like, maybe Hey, so. nope. maybe the time for big fights and it's not civility. So let me ask you, how would you, how would you answer that critique? Like, nope, civility doesn't matter. Why do we, you and I, believe so much that respectability, civility, all of this stuff actually is important specifically in our leaders? Well, I think this goes back to something that you've actually been talking about as you've been preaching with uh, through First Peter is, is there's so much in First Peter talking about like, the way that we speak should be seasoned with salt. The way that we live should be lived in such a way that no one can look down on us, even if they disagree with us. And so I think what we're calling people to is just like a biblical way of conducting ourselves. Like, I don't think we're even being, um, what am I trying to say? Like, like the hoity toity old school. Oh, we right. just wish Victorian. people young. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Victorian England. Like, I think we're just saying like, no, there's a level of human decency that I think both, by the way, the right and the left would call for yes. if, when push comes to shove and yet they're not modeling it. And I think when it comes to our leaders, they have to be held to a standard, knowing the world is watching, knowing the mantle that they wear and the importance of that. And that every act like this that um, kind of undermines human decency 
just isn't helpful in the long run. Like we need Mm. to start taking new ground and new strides for unity in our country. And this kind of thing isn't helpful. Again, I'm not disagree wholeheartedly, but like you do it in debate forum or you do it with, again, with kindness and respect. And I, I, I feel like we're going back to kindergarten and some of these lessons of like, treat other people like don't say words that you wouldn't want said about you i mean it's just like ah i don't know i'm kind of losing my mind a little bit but it's getting like well then who can you get behind because everybody's acting like this and this is what gets attention this is what gets power this is what gets votes ultimately and so it's this negative attention that feels so counterintuitive to what we actually want in our country, but that's what's being rewarded. I, I think you just nailed it as perfectly as you can. What gets elected are the are the shock people right now. Yeah, the think lightning about the rods. People that you're, yeah. What gets clicks on social media yeah. are the shock people in the church too. That's why yeah. I, I, this is what's so bad. Uh, what gets you a platform? Yeah. is opinion is this right you, nobody who's who's being platformed right now is up there going hey there's a little bit let's kind of talk nuance here let's <laughs> right, go back right. and forth let's debate right it's it's let's mobilize right yeah. let's get our people fired up yeah. let's go the other person is the enemy yeah and uh, that's why you get at a rally and you say things like you know f clarence thomas right. or why you get appeal we saw you know singers this week you know, mm-hmm. social, you know, Supreme Court justice mm-hmm. is this. And you're like, what is going on? And here's why I think it's important. I believe that this stuff grows generationally. Yeah. And that if this is the direction our generation is setting, our our kids' generation is going to take up that mantle and go further with it. And yeah. that it becomes harder and harder to change the direction mm. of a culture, to mm. change the tenor of a culture. And I'm most concerned about the church because church mirrors culture all too often. And we yeah. see this right now um, in in people wanting to be seen and people being disrespectful right. and this and right. that. And it, it, I think it's a huge problem. When you have, when you have the mayor of Chicago – saying this into a microphone, not into a hot mic where they didn't know, but saying it to rally a crowd. And that's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem. You could say, oh, I disagree with this and I vehemently want to fight against this. But to say what she said Mm -hmm. is, is wrong. It's a problem. And it's, it needs to, we need, we can't be this type of person. I think. And then the, like you had mentioned before, kind of the, the flippant nature of going, I said what I said. It, it just and proudly, it, yeah. Yes. It just breeds a little more arrogance, a little more like that sort of um, like swagger that I just yep. don't think is uh, compelling in a leader at all. I, I just, at I all. really don't. I long to see a new day. And again, disagree, just disagree in a different civil way. So I'm sure she's listening. So shame on the uh, Chicago <laughs> mayor. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure she's uh, tuning in. So uh, let us, especially as Christ followers, like you say, disagree without being disagreeable. Mm, that's um, good. Disagree without being disrespectful. Yeah. Let's, let's hold up the value of civility, yeah. if for nothing else than for our kids. All right, Aubrey, hard stories to talk about. We talked. <laughs> it feels like it's been a heavy day so far. So. Let's have some laughs. Let's do some fun. We've been doing very similar games to this in the past. What were some? We did Marvel character or Bible verse, I think. 
Uh -huh. Star Wars or Star the Bible. Star Wars or the Bible. Today, yep. here's today's game for you. Okay, let's hear it. Paul or princess? So <laughs> I'm going to read okay. to you a quote. And actually, this isn't just Paul. This is Paul. Uh, he either said this in the book of Ephesians or Titus, or it's oh, okay. a Disney princess said this. Oh, this okay. is going to be amazing. So here's what you okay. do. You can't look at it. Don't open your Bible. Don't use okay. Google. I want, I want you to make I a guess. I got nothing. My hands I are I have up. confidence of okay. all of them. I think you're going to do well in this one. I think that there's enough all right, difference. We'll see. But, uh, we shall see. So everybody out there, be ready. You've got to declare this was Paul okay. or this was a Disney princess. You ready? I'm so ready for this. I was born Quote for this. number one. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. I'm going to go with that Paul. Is Paul. That is Paul in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, uh, talking about elders, I believe. Okay, that was the only Titus one. So the rest of this is either it's all Ephesians, Ephesians okay. Paul writing to the okay. Ephesians, or it's a Disney okay. princess. Number two. Okay. Here we go. The only way to get what you want in this world is through hard work. The only way to get I'm, what you want oh. in this world is through hard work. Man, I'm going to go with Disney Princess. That is correct. For bonus points, would you like to guess which Disney Princess that was? Oh, I that one's th that that's throwing me off. Uh let's take a guess at uh Mulan. That was not. That was uh that oh. was Tiana from The Princess and the Frog. Oh, Tiana. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Okay. Number three. It isn't something you have earned. There is nothing you can brag about. It isn't something you have earned, so there is nothing you can brag about. I'm going with Paul. That is, in fact, Paul. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, talking about nice. works and faith nice. and grace. All right. You're three nice. for three. You're, I was confident in you in this one. So here we go. Number four, okay. let love be your guide. Oh man, I'm this. I'm gonna go Disney oh, Princess. Ephesians, Paul, Paul, Ephesians Paul? chapter five, verse two. Wow, wow. But doesn't that sound like that could be a Disney princess? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That could be a Disney let movie for sure. Love be your guide, Paul. That's a, that Ephesians was a good one. Chapter five, verse two. Number good. five. Remember, you're the one who can fill the world with sunshine. <laughs> that does not sound very Paul, does it? I'm going to say that it's not Paul. That is definitely a Disney line. <laughs> you are. You are. In, no, I'm just joking. You are correct. Do you have a guess on the princess who would have said you oh, can fill the world with sunshine? Uh, Rapunzel? No, this is Snow White from uh. the movie Snow White. Okay. Okay. Right, okay. Number six. Okay. Here we go. Just because it's what's done doesn't mean it's what should be done. Oh, man. Just because it's what's oh. done doesn't mean it's what should be done. Ah, uh, Disney princess? Is that it? Are you asking or are you, are you declaring? Oh, uh, that's, that's my answer. You are answer. correct. Tell me the princess. Woo! Uh, Mulan. You're going to keep guessing Mulan. I'm going to tell you Mulan <laughs> is not in this at all. Oh, man. Uh, oh, man. Uh, okay, hold on. No, Jasmine. Cinderella. Cinderella. Oh, okay. All right. So you've only gotten okay. one wrong. Number seven. Wow. You know you will be rewarded for any good things you do, whether you are slaves or free. That's yeah, Paul. So, well, the slave talk got you there. Okay. That is Paul <laughs> yeah, in yeah. Ephesians chapter six, 
verse eight. All right, this is the best you've done. These this are good the though. This is fun. All right, number eight. Okay. Yes, I am alone, but I am alone and free. I'm alone and oh, that's Frozen. That's, that's Disney. Oh, that's Disney. That's point. Elsa right there. The <laughs> I'm alone and not free. Only, I don't think you got the song right, but not only is that <laughs> Disney, but that is Elsa from Frozen. That is now, let me Elsa. ask you. Uh, Frozen was like the huge. huge, and I had two. I have two daughters and a son, and yeah. so it was in the wheelhouse of my daughters. Our kids are the same age, yeah. so when your boys were little, was Frozen uh-huh. a big deal, or were they not a big deal? No, I liked Frozen way more than them. They were like Frozen, like you know, they're just very typical boys, and so. They didn't like princess things were not exciting to them. Now, interestingly, they loved Moana because they loved the Maui yep. character. Uh, and they liked, uh, but th- we were more like Wreck It Ralph cars. Agreed. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that was more of our, our okay. thing. Our I home. wondered about that. I, to be honest with you, but I, I liked Frozen, Frozen quite a bit. So I was, I was glad to fit yeah. that stage. All right. Number nine, you've only yeah. gotten one wrong. I'm alone every <laughs> Sorry. Number nine. <laughs> I sound just like Adina Menzel, don't I? <laughs> number nine. Uh, <laughs> All right, this is a short one. We must stop acting like okay. children. We must stop acting like children. I'm going to go Paul? Are you asking or are you telling me? No, I'm I'm that saying That is Paul, it. Ephesians chapter 4 Woo! verses verse 14. We must stop acting like okay. children. Number 10. Nice. Uh we are not fighting against humans. That's Paul. That is also, but man, you, I thought some of these could possibly. It's Ephesians 6 there. Yeah. That is yeah. Ephesians 6 verse 12. Yeah. Oh, now, now yeah. you're feeling yourself. Now you're like, I'm giving. <laughs> I know. It's all coming. It's all downhill. Pride comes before you're the like, fall. I'm giving, I'm giving the reference. I, oh, you're like, oh, that's Ephesians 6. Come on. That's a, that's Ephesians 6. All right. Two more. Two more. Uh-oh. You want to keep okay, betting your money, go. or are you gonna are you gonna tap out here? No, no, no. I, I I'm not that I'm not that confident. Number eleven. Sometimes the right path is not the easiest one. Sometimes the right path mm, is that, not the easiest one. That feels like a Disney Disney. You princess. are correct. Would you like to guess the yes. Disney princess? Oh man, I've been I've been so terrible at this. Um, Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> it, is not, it is it is Pocahontas. <laughs> It is perfect. Okay. okay. Close. Last Close. one. Last one. You you got all but uh, one okay. right now. Man, I wish I could go back and do that one again. 12, all right, here we go. Last one. It's not until you lose everything that you can truly appreciate everything. It's not until you lose everything that you can truly appreciate everything. So I'm thrown by this one because this could be Paul, but it's a it's gotta be a weird version. They do of choose it. some you know weird versions mean? here. Yeah, like this is not this is not your NIV. This is not even your NLT. This is like a message or some real random one. Okay, say it again. Uh, let me scroll up. It's to not until it. you it's lose not everything. Until that you, you appreciate- lose everything that you can truly appreciate everything. I'm going Disney. I'm going Disney. This one is a Disney princess. Well done. <laughs> yes, yes. What Disney princess? I'm going to let that? you guess for all the bonus points. All okay. the points. Let's go. Okay, let's go with Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> You're just gonna keep going, Mulan. It is Belle from Beauty and the uh, Beast. Aubrey, you know you wow. you have three sons, but you know your Disney princesses. 
I know and my Disney you know princesses. I may not know. I may not know which princess said it. Is this but... one of the first times that people have said, "Let's discuss the the commonality between Disney princesses and the Apostle Paul." I mean, a hundred percent. Like this is pretty good. This is. Right, a I'm going to keep. Good I'm going to keep searching these this. games out. Uh, these okay. are fun, and are I am fun. impressed by how well you did, Brian. Uh, I- I, I was scrolling on Twitter. You know, for a while I've been trying to decide, am I on Twitter or am I off Twitter? Am I Do You're I leave on. permanently? Do I not leave permanently? Sometimes I just go and like retweet a bunch of things and then I stay off for like a week. But yesterday I was on it because there's a lot, of course, happening in the world. A lot of on Christian Twitter when it comes to Roe v. Wade and the decision that was made on last Friday. And um, a guy that we've had on the show before, I would call him a, a friend. A, a friend pastor. of yours, I would say. Yeah, a friend of mine, a pastor that we respect, Derwin Gray. Uh, he put something on Twitter. Now, I, my guess is this was in response to a lot of the vitriol and a lot of the hate going on around Roe v. Wade. It may not have been. This may have just been totally kind of outside of context. But yeah. here's what he said. This is uh, Derwin Gray on Twitter yesterday. People are really hurting, y'all. Everyone is going through something. Even when we disagree, we can still be kind, humble, and generous. Do not let the rage monsters infect you with their rage. And I feel like this goes a little bit back to the conversation we had about Lori Lightfoot, some of our political leaders, and some of the things they're saying. But this concept of do not let the rage monsters infect you with their rage, I thought was really insightful. And I think the question now that I want to discuss with you, Brian, is like, how? (laughs) Yes. You know what I mean? Is it just a matter of like getting off social media and not listening to the rage monsters? Or is there something else that we do? I mean, I see that. Derwin Gray is calling us, I think, to remember, like, people are hurting. And so people are coming to the opinions they're coming to or the the, um, the feelings they're feeling about Roe v. Wade or whatever it is based on their own stories and their own pain and their own experiences. We can have empathy for people. I think that's one way not to let the rage monsters infect you. But do you have any thoughts about this? Like, how do you kind of protect your own heart? We talk a lot about civility on the show. How do we protect we our own hearts so that we stay civil and empathic and compassionate in this increasingly rageful world. Yeah, it's such a – I think this is the Lori Lightfoot conversation we had earlier. Yeah. Like, this is it. Like, yeah. how are we as Christians responding to an angry world, to mm. an in- increasingly angry culture? Uh, per- uh, kind of tangentially, let me just say, I don't feel like – Derwin's from the South. I don't feel like I could ever put the word y'all into any <laughs> social media post. <laughs> With any sort of yeah, like, I don't uh, see you authenticity. Using yeah, authenticity. I don't, I, so because I grew up in Oklahoma and I, I spent many years in Georgia, I feel like every once in a while, like a y'all does come out and it feels okay. But I, sometimes I wrestle with it now because I've been in the Midwest for so long. As one who grew up in New Jersey and since yeah. then has only also lived in Chicago, y'all has never been you authentically part of my vernacular. <laughs> but I think the right word here, and you use the word, is empathy. Mm. Uh, I think what does it look like for us to be em- empathetic? Yeah. Because um, empathy is different than sympathy, right? Empathy is mm-hmm. entering into someone's pain. And I think personalizing it, right? Like not yeah. everybody – we have to be able to slow down and go, why does somebody feel so passionately about this? Why is someone hurt? What's the hurt that is manifesting itself in anger, mm. in uh, disagreement, in whatever? And I think yeah. 
um, we 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 serve a savior who showed empathy. He right. showed the compassion. And so that is our calling in the world to be that. Yeah. Uh, it, but it takes work, right? I, I guess, Aubrey, what I would say is everybody's different and there's a story behind everybody, mm-hmm. right? There's stuff going on. And if we don't care, if everybody's just a viewpoint or everybody's yeah. just a talking point, uh, oh, they're just a Democrat. They're just mm-hmm. a Republican. They're just a this or a that. Uh we can lose the humanity, right? I think that's why you and I talk so much about civility is because it feels like we're losing the humanity. Mm. What makes us human? What makes us be able to reach across the aisle and go, Hey, I disagree with you, but I I love you. And I want to hear your story. I want to help you. Um, I feel like we've lost in kind of this rage world. I mean, I think he uses a a powerful image there of Mm -hmm. the rage monster. Totally. Um, because that's what people feel like. It's like, how angry can I get and how quickly can I express that anger right. instead of going, man, I disagree with what that person is saying, but that person's still a person. And let me find out what's going on, like where this is coming yeah. from. And the reality is we probably actually do this in real life, right? Like with family members and such. But Good point. It's not our it's not our larger conversation, whether it be social media or yeah. cable news or other things. And so it starts to feel like our whole world has our whole country has lost empathy. But especially as Christians, we can't be like, well, I'm just going to be empathetic to the people that I agree with. That's not our calling. Yeah. Like it's to get into people's lives. It's to hear their stories. Mm-hmm. It's to empathize with their pain mm-hmm. and to share the hope of Jesus into that. And so. I think Derwin's right. Let us as Christians, as Christ followers, not fall into the trap of just like anger, anger, anger. I'm going to rage, rage, rage. That's not who we're meant to be. Right. It's not. It's not a fruit of the spirit. It's not one Mm. of the defining characteristics of Jesus. It's not that he never got angry, but he was not like a rageful person. And so if our commitment is to Christ likeness and to the Holy Spirit forming more of the person of Jesus in us, then I would say like, less and less rageful would actually be the godly response. It's interesting in my own life, Brian, because it's not often that like in real life, I come across really rageful people, right? Mm -hmm. But every Mm -hmm. once in a while, they do cross your paths or in your church and they're mad about something or just maybe not they're in your church, not even mad at your church, but about life and just kind of filled with anger. And I almost find myself like, like a defense wall goes up around those Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. where I'm like, I, I don't want to keep engaging with you because it feel not that it necessarily feels like scary, but it feels exhausting. Like Mm -hmm. it is exhausting to be around very rageful, angry people. And I can only imagine what those rage, you know, as Derwin Grace calls them, the rage monsters, how exhausting it must be within their souls. Like you and I were talking about yesterday, like, even the low level of anxiety we sort of all live with on this planet right now and how going on vacation like helps you kind of step away from that. So take that to like, you know, the ninth degree, like you're a rageful, angry person all the time. It's exhausting being around you. I can't imagine how exhausting it is to be you. To be you. That's, yeah. I wonder that so often about people. Like how can you go about life being so angry mm-hmm. all the time? Like, Put your put your phone down and go for a walk and, yeah. and look at the beauty around you. And, yeah. uh, you know, even around something that you and I have been very honest about how strongly we feel about the abortion debate. Mm-hmm. So uh, but even in that conversation, somebody replied to Derwin's tweet and said this. 
Uh, one in four women, some statistics say, have had abortions. So your smug rejoicing and hot takes are hurting your friends and family, even if you're unaware. Mm. If you're a Christian, you're hurting your witness. Like even in something you believe so strongly about, yeah. still putting a face on it, yeah. still putting um, – individualizing it, personalizing yeah. it, that grows empathy. And I would say this is why you and I talk about empathy, civility, all of this so much because we see it leaving our culture. It's Absolutely. gone. And, and our churches. We yes. see it leaving our churches. Yeah. And it just can't be. We serve a Savior who is empathetic. That's right. Uh, who cared about people's stories, their That's plights. Right. Uh, and we have to be that as well. And yeah. and so I'm grateful. Der- I think Derwin hits it on the head here. Yeah, rage I, monsters. I think he does rage too. Rage monsters. Don't be that. Do not let the rage monsters infect you with their rage. Uh, Brian, you know, we, we've said this before, but we sometimes talk about difficult things on this show, heavy things yeah. on this show. Uh, it, you know, it's already been, it feels like it's been a week and it's only Tuesday. Right. Because of that, we like to throw in a palate cleanser every once in a while or something just to make you laugh. And one of the places we go to for that is Relevant Magazine because they have their, I don't know, they have their pulse on really, really entertaining things about Christianity and they help us laugh at ourselves quite a bit. So they actually have nine bad Christian excuses to break up with someone. <laughs> now, before we before we dive into that, now, obviously, you and I have been married, not to each other. We've been married, though, to our spouses for decades. Long uh, time. Were the, was there ever a time you broke up with somebody? And how, if so, how'd you do it? <laughs> so, I'm not, uh, this, this will not surprise you. Yeah. Uh, I was not a good breakup person. Uh, that does Because you don't so, like conflict. So, that does not surprise me. So with that said, I, I did the very first girl. This was this sounds so embarrassing, but we all have these stories, right? Yeah. Sophomore year of high school, I started, I'm using air quotes to say dating this girl at like a, a church camp. I right. lived in Jersey. She lived in Pennsylvania. I don't really know what we thought was going to happen with this. Uh, but hey, the first time a girl shows you any attention, you're like, I will date you. And, uh, <laughs> This girl, it, this is going to sound the most cliche Christian camp thing. We were like juniors in high school, sophomores. We're going into our junior year. And she, I will never forget on the phone one day, she was like, we'd been dating, air quotes again, for yeah. like a couple weeks. Yeah. And she was like, I have, no, I have no doubt we can make it through high school, but I don't, college might be difficult. And oh. I was like, whoa. Wait, what? what? Whoa, whoa. And so one day we're talking on the phone. Uh, it had been like a month. Like this is not a long term. Like our hearts are melded together. Right. 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 Like, I don't even remember the girl's name at the moment as I'm telling the story. <laughs> That's sad. Uh, we are we are talking, and there was a pause in the conversation. Yeah. And I go, I don't think we should date anymore. Oh! And she started crying. Oh no. And then there was an awkward hang up, and I have never spoken to the girl since. <laughs> That is so yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. A, and then I also dated a girl for way too long for like in high school into college. And this one, the problem wasn't so much breaking up. It yeah. was staying broken up. Oh, <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. Like, I feel like many of us have had one of those. Yeah. Anytime. There was always that moment of like, eh, we should date again. We'll date so again. I'm going out on a limb though. This, I might insult you with this. Okay. But I'm going with it anyway. I feel like you were good at breakups. Ah, I was terrible at breakups. So I did, I mean, quote unquote, date 
a few people. It sounds so stupid to say when you're like young, you know, we weren't really dating, but, um, but I would know pretty immediately that I didn't like them and I needed to break up with them, but I would string it out because I was afraid to tell them. And so I have, I mean, I actually like kind of feel bad and guilty in my soul. I'm sure they're fine. They're all like married and have wonderful wives and children and don't remember my name. Like if they were telling that story, but I have a little bit of guilt about certain guys that I just sort of like strung along until they like quote unquote got the hint and never actually was like, <laughs> I don't like you anymore. I don't want to date you right. anymore. You know what I mean? So, no, I was really, really bad at it. Like, I were those guys are sitting in the dark or like sitting in <laughs> dimly lit rooms, just reading your books over and over right, again, going, right? Like looking for themselves in my. Oh gosh, I yeah, it's it was. I mean, but I was young and immature, and I you know all, nobody's good at you nobody's either do it like at awkwardly or you don't yeah. do it or whatever. Yeah, and it is the beauty. It is the beauty of having gotten married young it's like, so true you just don't have to deal with that anymore it's so true i have poor i have so many you know single gal friends that are amazing and they're on the apps right now and they're like it's a whole new way to be rejected like because guys just won't even show up like you'll make plan for a date and they don't even come you know and it's just that like is, oh that is terrible so I, I, she did not appreciate me saying this to her i will say that so we did not do this but i once jokingly or half jokingly <laughs> suggested to my wife that we should get on a dating app and see if they put us together. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have some friends who joke about that too. Like, should we get on a dating app and just see if they match us or not? (laughs) There might be like big red flags. Stay away. Right. (laughs) Right. This person is not for you. Sorry. We're in. We made vows to God and each other. Okay. So with breakups in mind, like I said, Relevant Magazine has nine bad Christian excuses to break up with someone. Okay. They acknowledge like breaking up is very difficult. Someone's going to and be hurt. We're not hurt. talking about breaking up your marriage. No, here. no, These no. Are this like is the awkward, like awkward dating relationship. Yeah. Yeah. 20s. Like, you know, yeah. it's not, this is not marriage material. Right. right. Exactly. G- good clarification. Okay. So here's the first one. I think God is telling me we should see other people. <laughs> <laughs> And that one's pretty good because they're basically like, come on, you're blaming God. Like, don't blame, don't pull God into your breakup. (laughs) Yeah, that's That's a good one. That's a good one. Number two. Yeah. Number two says this. I have commitment issues. They said this is an excellent way to say I'm not dumping you because I'm scared of commitment. I'm dumping you because I don't like you enough to commit to you. That's the hard truth. This is the old, and maybe this one will come up later, but I have commitment issues is another way of saying uh, it's not you, it's me. Yeah, Uh, totally. The old old, it's not you, it's me is, uh, is usually falls apart quickly. Yeah, the, the the I have commitment issues is really like, I just don't like you and want to commit to you. But like when the right person Correct. comes along, I'll commit to them. Yeah, um, Ready this, to is commit. A, this was a good one. I feel like I heard this a lot at Wheaton, like not necessarily to me, but I heard this as an excuse. I think I should focus on my relationship with God. You know what I mean? And they're, <laughs> and they're saying on relevant, prove it. Update your profile picture with a fire selfie on Facebook with your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's no. good. What they're saying is they just don't like you anymore. I've told you the story that, that, speaking of Wheaton, that when Carrie and I, we were in this weird stage because we were good friends where it was like we were moving towards dating, but she was really hesitant because she didn't want to, quote unquote, ruin the friendship, you know? Yeah. And so she was also in a girl's small group at the point, and they were reading Elizabeth Elliot's Passion and Purity, which almost caused us never to date. Like I have have very strong feelings about Elizabeth Elliot and not in a good way. (laughs) Uh, but these girls were 
telling Carrie at the time, you need to just focus on your relationship with God. And I was like, why not both? (laughs) (laughs) Why does it have to be one or the other? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, The next one one. is a little bit the same way. I need to focus on my career right now. They said, this is a lot worse than focusing on your relationship with God, because at least one makes you look good. This is just another way of saying, (laughs) I don't like you enough to prioritize you in my life. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That one's pretty funny. Okay, this, oh, this one is uh, yeah. This, this is, is a little bit like what you were saying before. It's not you. It's, it's me. You deserve someone better. I had a boy as a in very early high school tell me that I'm too. He said you're too good for me. Who and this uh-huh. they're saying that same thing. You're too good for me. Whoever ends up with you is so lucky. It's like come on, don't try to like compliment me while you're breaking out with me. Just tell me like this isn't working out. That's a good one. Yep. The next one. <laughs> Maybe in the future. <laughs> oh no, that's cold. You, that's cold. I think Don't we should take a break and see what the see what the future holds. It's over. It's basically <laughs> saying I want to be single, but I'm scared that I won't find anyone better. So I keep you in my back pocket as a backup, just in case. Ouch, ouch. That's really cold. Okay, I'll I'll just read the last three. Not ready for a relationship right now. Uh, I love you. I'm just not in love with you. That one's bad. And then the classic cop out, which you and I have both mentioned, it's not you. It's me. The worst. A so great Seinfeld that... episode. A great Seinfeld oh, episode. With, it's not you. It's me. Oh, I didn't know that. That's so yes. funny. Uh, yeah. It seems like if you're going to break up with someone, just know it's awkward and be like, I, I want to break up with you. Exactly. And like, that's exactly. the most, I don't have feelings for you anymore. That's actually the kindest thing you can do the end of the show and at the end of every show we love to bring you something either challenging or inspiring or something just to put a smile on your face i thought this one was pretty challenging um i was over on twitter kind of stumbling through you know deep dives of different people's opinions and takes this week and marlena graves is a voice that i continue to return to because she's she's very poised and has a quite of a a bit of a like i would call it a prophetic perspective like she's able to step back and and look at american christianity She's an evangelical Christian Latino woman, but able to kind of step back with a lot of perspective. And here's what she says. I want to know if you think this is true, and I want to know why it's true. We kind of touched on this earlier uh, today, I believe. But she said, it's hard to follow Jesus when we have too much stuff and when we have stuffed too many activities into our lives because we are shackled to the norms and rhythms of American markers of status and comfort. Mm. Pretty, uh, pretty uh, insightful kind of pressing word Critique. from Marlena. Yep. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? So I told you, I believe yesterday that I think the number one or maybe close, if not number one, then very much at the top of idols that we as, as American Christians struggle with is the, com- is the idol of comfort. That's right. That was yesterday. I yeah. think everything about our society strives for comfort. Mm. Um, have enough money to be comfortable, retire early enough to mm. be comfortable, have a big enough house to be comfortable, protect yeah. your kids, all of this stuff. Yeah. And I think that's what she's getting at. When we buy into the idol of comfort, yeah. uh, then that's going to be our trajectory. We're going to try to make more money so that I can be comfortable. We're going to try to you know protect mm-hmm. our kids, whatever else it might be. We're going to mm-hmm. make job choices. We're going to do all this kind of stuff. Uh, where this becomes problematic is it doesn't take very long, especially reading the Gospels, to figure out that comfort is not high on Jesus's list. Right. Oh, Jesus is so not. Great. There aren't many verses out there that are going, 
hey, strive for comfort, Mm -hmm. strive for ease. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is not a biblical call. And so anytime you hold up a a cultural value that is not a scriptural value, that is not a Jesus value, when those run against each other, those are difficult uh, places to be. Yeah. Um, because I think because you're surrounded by it every day, you kind of easily, and I think that's what she's getting at, you easily fall back into the norm of what's around you. So we begin buying into the idol of comfort without going, I'm worshiping comfort. Like we don't even totally. know it. Yeah. And that's what I think she's getting at. Like the more stuff you have, you know, that's usually a sign of comfort. The more, mm. when anytime you're going in that, tra- the trajectory, we talk about being countercultural all the time. Mm. Well, being countercultural is different, uh, is difficult, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of those, I think, um, is this idea of comfort. And so I do think she's right. I think as long as uh, we are consciously or subconsciously buying into, uh, the norm and the rhythm and the marker of comfort and status, uh, it's going to hurt our faith because those aren't markers and norms and rhythms of Christianity. Mm. And so that's where it becomes wow, difficult. What do you wow. think about what she had to say? That's so that's so insightful, Brian. I, 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 yeah, I think the other thing that this led me to consider is then the other thing that happens in our soul, at least for me, I'll speak for myself here, is I can look at people who I assume, rightly or wrongly, I assume that they have reached sort of that marker of status and comfort. And um, I can feel jealous. I can wonder why God is doing that in their lives and not mine. Uh, And soon what I've done is taken my focus off of the good gifts that God is doing, has done, will do in my life because I'm so concerned with like what other people have achieved. And so I think that's, that, Mm. um, this whole issue gets compounded too. It's hard to follow Jesus when we're looking to markers of status and comfort as the sign of like, oh, God loves me. God is blessing me. God is, you know, and the hard part to me is I, I think sometimes you and I can step back in, um, kind of pick apart the prosperity gospel for this reason. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. yet I think this subtly creeps into other places in the church as well. Like, especially with sort of our quote unquote, uh, Christian celebrity culture, or even the reality of social media is you, it's so easy to look at other people's successes, vacations, achievements, spouses, I mean, whatever it is that your heart is set on. I am trying to think of a variety of topics that you might feel drawn to. And, um, and it's so easy to be like, well, they've achieved that. That doesn't feel fair. My life isn't where I thought it would be. And then you kind of get bitter towards God. You grow cold Mm. towards God. And so I, I wonder what the antidote to this is like, I think it's probably some type of practice around gratitude, contentment, and then just being mindful of what you were talking about, like knowing when it really has become an idol that we're worshiping status and comfort and, and not just sort of like, Oh, I'm so grateful. I got this new car. God bless me with like when it moves beyond that to something else, then, you know, it's an idol and then it's problematic. What what do you think is this this idea that we've stuffed too ma- many activities into our lives? So busyness yeah. is, uh, it, I mean, be still and know that I'm God, yeah. right? Like what what does busyness rob us of? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like my life is really busy right now, but what does busyness 
rob us of it robs us of deep thought yeah um i mean jesus should have been busier than anybody right he would go off and pray right you know when i'm busy it robs me of the time in the word and prayer it reminds me of deep it uh robs me of deep conversation i think when we're but also oftentimes it the question is what are we busy doing Mm. what are we busy trying to accomplish if it's like i need to stack these things so people are impressed with me yeah and people validate me, that's that's a dangerous place to be. And you said something significant earlier, like what's the antidote to comfort and what's the antidote to business? I do think sometimes it's it's taking intentional steps that are uncomfortable, mm. right? I always hated the phrase, I used it a million times in youth ministry, right? Get out of your comfort zone. But yeah. there, we use it because there's truth to it. Right, right. Like I would have to guess, you and I haven't talked much about this, but I would have to guess one of the most life-forming seasons of your life was probably when you and Kevin lived in Africa for certainly, a year. Well, certainly, certainly. Why? Yeah. Right? Why? Because it was different. It was uncomfortable. It yeah. stretched you. It gave you a worldview beyond what's here. Yeah. And so, yes, can all of us go live in Africa for a year? No. no. But can you do things that stretch you and get you out of just the the um, the tide of what's going on culturally? I think – that becomes the important antidote. You're never going to just be like, oh, look, I just kind of wandered into uncomfortableness. I think it's <laughs> going to take some work to get there. So yeah. uh, I do. I think there's an intent. Anytime you talk about running against what culture is mm-hmm. kind of doing, it's going to take intentionality. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's going to take intentionality. But I also think what we what we can't do either is make the concept of like discomfort and idol. Cause I feel like I've seen people yes. do that too, where they're like, I'm going to intentionally live with only seven things. And that's going to be the, like in one sense, all of it can become a form of legalism, if not surrendered to Jesus. And so I think you're exactly right, Brian, we need to be in places of discomfort in order to grow in our dependence on Christ. But it's almost also like we need to ask God to send us into those places so that we're doing it in a way that transforms us towards him and in his likeness rather than like forcing it or something. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm curious to continue exploring that. All right. Right, So how are we shackled to norms and rhythms of American markers of status and comfort? And can we uh, change that for the sake of our own growth and health? Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.